Good morning. Please take out a copy of the scriptures and turn with me to James chapter 1. If you're visiting with us, that's on page 950 on the Pew Bibles, uh, should be in front of you. And as you're turning there, I will say that I did meet one of our visitors this morning, a young man named James, or excuse me, Joseph, and uh, he was telling me that at his church, the preaching is very good and that sometimes a little long, so 45 minutes to an hour, and uh, I will endeavor to not disappoint you, uh, although the quality may not be as good as Mark Devers. Um, So James chapter 1, our passage this morning, we're going to find in... Chapter 1, verses 22 through 27. So follow along as I read the word of God. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would show us the truths of our hearts, our loves. Lord, we would pray that you would work in us uh, what only you can do through the power of your Holy Spirit. Uh, show us your glory. Show us our need for repentance, and show us how to be doers of your word. Lord, we cannot do this on your own, and nothing I can say this morning can change that. It is only through the power of your spirit and the power of your word. So we pray that you would open our hearts, open our minds to see glorious things that you have said. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So some of you know that uh, I used to be a musician, and that I studied music in college for quite a while. Now, it's an interesting thing when you get a degree in music. You see, you, you have a piece of paper that you can hang on your wall that certifies for everyone that you studied something to a proficient level. It says you've essentially arrived at an academic level of proficiency of that material. And if you go far enough in studying music academically, you can even get a doctorate of the musical arts, a DMA, a DMA. But it's interesting because you can study everything about music. You can know everything to say about it. You can analyze it perfectly. But at the end of the day, as a musician, what matters is if you can play your instrument. And we musicians have a joke. That a DMA actually stands for doesn't mean anything. It's true. And that might sound a little harsh and possibly funny for most of us, but it's true. As a musician, it means absolutely nothing. What you can say about what school you went to, who you listened to, who you studied under, what names you can drop in conversation, none of that means anything. The only thing that matters is can you get on a stage in front of an audience and play? 
And that's true in other fields. We all, you know, we all know this intuitively, but I shouldn't care how good the schools were that my doctors went to. If they can't diagnose and, and treat the problem that I'm having, it does no good. It does no good. Or what would be the point of an architect's license if they can't build a house or a building that can stay standing? It's useless. And we all know that no matter how impressive someone's credentials may be, what they've done, if you can't do the job, it's all worthless. And that's exactly James' point in our passage this morning. In the previous section, he commanded us to be, to be hearers of the word, to hear and receive the word. But now he wants to make sure that we understand that hearing in and of itself is useless. It's useless. Yes, if you listen to and study scripture enough, you can have the appearance of godliness. And you may even be able to earn a doctoral degree in theology, but if you're not a doer of the word, it really is just a DMA because it really just doesn't mean anything. Doesn't mean anything. The all that matters is if you can do the word. And just as you can look at a diamond from many different angles, James this morning is going to show us what that proper response of doing the word looks like through three different facets. Three different facets, three different angles that we're going to see uh, how we should respond to what we hear in God's word, how we should be doers. So this morning we're going to see first the command, second the comparison, and third the condemnation. The command, the comparison, and the condemnation. So for the first point, let's look at verse 22. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. So James just comes out and says it right off the top. He comes straight at us with a command, be doers and not hearers only. So there it is. That's essentially our proper response, completely distilled down into one short little sentence for us to make it easy to understand, one command. If you want to know what you should do with everything that God says in that Bible that you're holding, James tells us right here, do what it says. Do what it says. Be a doer of the word. You're to obey what you hear God say, not just listen to it. And this is the core thought of the entire book of James, essentially. Be doers of the word. And the rest of the book is essentially just one application after another after another of this principle to different areas of practical living for the Christian life. You have to understand that James is writing to a group of believers that are tempted to compromise with worldliness, with worldliness. They're trying to find ways of compromising what God said just enough to satisfy what God says, but not live a life that brings too much difficulty or pain or suffering. And James' message, his central thought that he wants to write to these suffering, suffering believers is stop being like the world. Stop it. Just do what God says in his word. Trust God and what he says, no matter how hard, no matter how painful, trust God by doing his commands. But notice that James' command isn't just be doers. He also commands us, don't be merely hearers of the word. All right, remember, he just commanded us in the last section. 
and to be hearers and to receive the word because if we don't, if we don't hear and receive it, if we don't know what God says, how can we possibly live a life that honors him if we don't know what God has said about what honors him? So James says now, James says now that we are to receive the word, but don't stop there. Don't just stop there. Hear the word so that it can guide you, but go further. Right? Because faith, faith that that uh, faith that saves is faith that obeys. Faith that saves is faith that obeys. Listen to John, uh, John 3, 36 with me. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. And listen to what Christ says in Matthew twelve fifty. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. You see, Faith that saves is the faith that obeys. So we must do what God commands. But notice that James says, be doers of the word. Not just do it, but be described as someone that's a doer. Not someone that, that's just known for doing something occasionally, but be a categorically different kind of individual that's known entirely for being a doer of the word. The very core of who you are not just on Sundays, but on all the other days of the week also. Be doers and apply it constantly and consistently to your life. Now sadly, for some of us in here this morning, this might seem radical. This might seem radical to us, and it's sad because what James is saying here should be true of every Christian. It's what we should be known as. And you might be saying to yourself, you know, yeah, I hear what you're saying, and obedience is good, but that's just for a different level of Christianity than, than where I am at. That's just not, not right for me right now. But this is what every Christian is supposed to be known as. Listen to what Christ says in Matthew 28, 19 and 20. This is Christ's command to the church as we await his return. This is his command to us. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. So there you have it. That's what we do. Christians make disciples. But look how he says that we're to do it. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Here it is, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Did you catch that? We are to make disciples by teaching them to observe what Jesus commands. We're to teach them to obey. Essentially, Christ's disciples do what he commands. Disciples are doers. Disciples are doers. This is the most fundamental thing about Christians is we obey God from a heart of love for God and his word. We are doers of the word, brothers and sisters. And so that's James' command to us. Be doers of the word. Be doers of the word. Be who you are. But he also gives us a warning. He says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. His command introduces two types of people here. Two types. The first group, they hear and they do. And the second type, they hear and they don't. They deceive. 
They hear and they deceive. They deceive themselves into believing that because what they're hearing is good and, and maybe they're even like feeling something because the word is proclaimed powerfully and they're hearing that, they're deceived into thinking that because of that, they're at peace with God. They're deceived into thinking that it has some effect on their life when in actuality, they're spiritually dead and enemies of God. They trust that they're okay because they go to church, maybe every week. They read their Bible pretty often, maybe every day. They listen to sermons and they go to Bible studies. They might even be a member of a good church. Maybe they say something like the group of people that we read about in Matthew 7, verse 22. Jesus says, On that day, speaking of the day of judgment, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? So these guys have it together. They have to be in. Look at everything they're doing. It's amazing. They're prophesying. They're casting out demons. And maybe those mighty works that they're talking about here include something like you know, teaching a Bible study or preaching. You know, this has to be the in crowd. This has to be the people that are the doers, right? They're doing something. Of course, we all know what the next verse says in verse 23. He says, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. See, they're doing stuff, but all that stuff was just lawlessness, meaning it's not what God commanded. They weren't doing the word. They were doing stuff. So if the very works, these amazing things that these people are doing aren't enough, what does it take? What does it take? Who could possibly be saved if this isn't enough? If we look back at verse 21, Jesus says to us, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does. That's the same root word in the Greek. The one who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. See, you have to be a doer of God's will. A doer of God's will, not just stuff. And where do we find God's will? Where is it revealed to us? In his word, brothers and sisters. Jesus' point is that those of you who don't do what it says, but trust instead in your self-righteousness, in your self-righteous works, that group of people on judgment day saying, Lord, Lord, did many, that did many works, if that's you, your house of cards is going to be coming tumbling down when you hear the words, depart from me, I never knew you. It's sad and it's terrifying. These people went their whole lives deceived. Their whole lives. And Jesus said, there will be many that are like that. Many. So are you deceiving yourself? Friends, hear me. Please. I know these are hard truths. But there are only two outcomes. There are only two outcomes. You either do what you hear, the will of the Father, or you don't and you deceive yourself. You're either on the rock that is Christ, the solid rock, or you're on the sand of self-righteousness. And only one of those foundations is going to stand in the day of judgment. Yes, none of us does this perfectly, what God says. Christians can and do disobey. 
but it's not the theme of our lives. When a believer sins, their conscience and the Holy Spirit in them drives them to repentance and and into obedience. We desire to honor and obey our Father and what He says. We want to do His will. But those who consistently disobey God's word, what He says, give evidence that they are dead in their sin. You can be a regular church attender a seminary student, or even a seminary professor. You can prophesy, you can cast out demons and do mighty works. But at the end of the day, all that matters is if you're a doer or a deceiver. Can you do the word? Friends, don't deceive yourselves. Be doers of the word. Now, these are hard truths, but James doesn't stop there. He knows how stubborn our sinful hearts can be. So he goes on. He, he gives us two other glimpses at what this proper response of the word are, uh, is in the next section here. So we'll look at point number two, the comparison. The comparison. Verses 23 through 25. So James gives us an illustration here between two hearers. Okay. In verse 23 and 24, we, we see one that, uh, it's, it's a pretty simple comparison, but this man looks at himself in the mirror, and then, after looking, he just turns away and forgets. Forgets what kind of man he was. Then James contrasts that with the doer of the word in verse 25, who looks, and then he acts on what he sees. Now, this analogy is pretty straightforward. And, you know, we understand a lot of it just on the surface, but let's take a closer look at how James compares and contrasts these two individuals. It's important to remember at the start, though, what it is that they're looking at. Or, to James' point, remember what it is that they're hearing. They're both hearing the same thing. They're both hearing the Word of God. These are two hearers that have heard God's Word. And they both look really hard. I don't want you to miss this. The the Greek word look that describes the first person here is a very purposeful look. And the ESV translates it appropriately here by saying that he looks intently. He's searching it. This is not just a casual glance. This person is a person that is quick to hear the word, like in verse 19. And they consider it attentively. And then we see the contrast of that. We see that in verse 25, the second man also looks. Now, this is a slightly different word in the Greek, um, and doesn't come across too well in our English Bibles on the, on the surface, but it, it means also to look intently at something, but it's slightly stronger. It has a slightly stronger connotation because it means to stoop down or bend down to get a close look at something and to see it for what it is, to look very carefully. It's the same word that we read in First Peter chapter 1 a moment ago in verse 12 describe angels longing to look into the things of the gospel and it's used to describe Peter and Mary Magdalene when they approach the tomb and they and they lean they stoop down they lean in they look in the empty tomb to see if it's empty this is an intense look that lowers oneself to get the best possible vantage point so both look intently at the same thing the word of God. But we're beginning to see that there's a subtle difference between the two. It's their approach. 
They both hear the word attentively, but the doer has a slightly stronger desire to look into it, a desire that that drives them to stoop down and lower themselves to see it as closely as possible. Now, the next thing that James shows us is a difference. It's what they see. It's what they see. Now, remember, they are both looking at the same thing. They're both looking at God's word, but they don't perceive the same thing. They see something completely different. The first man sees his reflection in a mirror. Now, a first century mirror was polished glass, and, and it wasn't perfectly, or excuse me, polished metal, and it, it wasn't perfectly clear like the glass mirrors that we have today. You'd have to take it and turn it to just the right angle and just the right light to get an exact clear look at what it is that you want to see. And even then, it wasn't a perfectly clear uh, reflection. It, it's kind of like the way a makeup artist in the subway on a, on a Monday rush hour morning travel on the train is sitting there looking at their eyebrows, trying to do their makeup. They're, they have to get it at just the right angle. Now, this man's hearing the word and he's hearing it carefully. He's straining and he's listening intently to what it says himself. He hears what God's word says and he rece- and as a result, he perceives his natural face. He perceives who he is. He arrives at an understanding of the truths in the word. So this is likely a man who has accurate theology. He probably understands what sin is. He knows that he is a sinner and God is holy. He understands that what he hears makes a demand on his life, that there are commands But what he does next is the really telling thing. It's the really telling thing. He does all that work to hear, then he just goes away and forgets about it all. He just forgets. It's like, imagine waking up in the morning and and looking in the mirror and seeing your hair sticking straight up, and maybe you even take out all the comb, the brushes, and the hair gel, and whatever you need to, to do something about what you see, and then you just walk away and you forget about it and you go into a job interview. It's absolutely ludicrous. No one would do that. But that's what this man does. He searches it deeply because he knows, he knows that it's important. He knows that James says, hear it, but he does nothing about it. Now the doer does something completely differently. And he sees something different. He sees something profound. The word that he hears isn't something that he he perceives as just skin deep on the surface, something you can take or leave and and it's okay. You can just probably leave this out after after you're you're looking really hard for it. Now this man, this man searches it deeply because he knows the words of scripture are the perfect law, the law of liberty. This man sees the perfect and liberating word. He sees In a nutshell, he sees the gospel. He knows that the word of God, all of it, points to Christ and the salvation that we have because of the work of Christ. And notice that James switches the word from everywhere else in the passage above. He says, be doers of the word, hear the word. Now he uses the word law. He switches to the word law. Now, why he does that is because this man knows that these commands have a binding effect on his life. He knows that God has said it, so he has to do it. 
He knows that this is the source of life and it's liberating. It's like what Peter says in John chapter 6. John chapter 6, he says, uh, and a little context is, is helpful here to see what, what's going on. You see, there was large crowds of people following Jesus and people that claimed to be Jesus' disciples. And then one day, Christ makes a demand. He says something hard. There's something that God says that was hard for this group of people. And they say, you know what? This isn't for us. And they leave. They abandon following him and they go somewhere else. And Jesus, in that moment, turns to the 12 disciples and he says, are you going away also? And what Peter says in John 6, 68 is uh, what I want to get at. He says, he responds, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Now that's a doer. That's a doer of the word. He hears what God says and he knows no matter how hard it is, how much sacrifice it's going to take, how painful it is, he has to do it. He has to follow Christ no matter what because he is the source of life. His words are the words of eternal life. The crowds, they hear it. They hear the same thing. They understand what the demands are. And it's precisely because of that that they leave. They deceive themselves into thinking that they can find hope elsewhere. That there's another option. But the true doer knows there's no other option. It's Christ or it's nothing. Nothing else satisfies and no one else saves. And Peter is right on the mark here. To whom else shall we go? So let me take a moment here and just stop and say that if you are not a follower of Christ, if you haven't come to him for salvation from your sins, this right here is the most important thing that you need to hear this morning. You see, you're a sinner. You sin against God. All the stuff that, that you've said that's not true, when you've been hateful to others, when you lash out at others with your words, all that is sin. It's not a doer of the word. You sin against a holy God. And each and every person in here this morning, each of us has sinned and has a problem. No one is excluded. And God promises that you will be judged for your sins on the day of judgment. And everyone who sins will be sent to hell for eternity for their wrongdoing, for those sins. But this is the gloriously good news in Christ, that Christ lived a perfectly righteous life, pleasing to God the Father in every way. And he took the punishment on himself, on the cross, for all those who believe in him. And he promises that if you look to him, if you look to Christ in faith, believe that he has paid for your sins and you repent from your sinning, and you follow hard after him, you will be saved. That is the promise in Scripture. God promises this in his word. Christ stands ready to save every sinner in this room, every sinner that comes to him and believes. And if you do, he promises to bring to you to himself for all eternity. And what Peter says is so true. There is no other way. 
There is nowhere else that has words to say. There is no one else whose name will be salvific for you. No one else can or will save you. Come to Christ. To whom else will you go? The question answers itself. No one. No one. Go to Christ. Don't be the person in this passage who sees this, who hears it, who understands it, perceives that there's something that God is telling you right now and you turn away and you forget. Be the doer that does. Go to Christ and be saved. And back in our passage in James, that's the biggest difference. That's the biggest difference is when someone hears a clear command of Scripture, what God says, it's their response. It's the response to it. The response to hearing the word that's preached. One forgets it, and the other does it. One forgets, and one does. For whatever reason, one walks away, having listened to everything, and he just immediately forgets it, while the other one lives out what he heard. And we don't know if it's from distractions. We're not told if it's because of their desires or something that maybe they didn't like, like the crowd that we just saw in John chapter 6. Maybe they didn't like something about, about what they heard. The point is, one forgets and the other does. That's it. You see, if you are a doer of the word, all the circumstances around your life and what God commands are absolutely meaningless in the moment. The only thing that matters is doing what God says and honoring him and glorifying him. And there's one last difference between these two hearers. One is deceiving himself and the other is blessed. So we saw in verse 22, James is talking about this deception And we see at the end of this section that the other is blessed. The one is deceived because there's no change. Nothing else happens in their life. This person does all the work of hearing. They strain to understand it. But there's no difference in their life. He's deceived into thinking that somehow that effort of listening has some effect on his life. Maybe he feels something by reading the word, but there's no change. Nothing comes from what he's heard. He's content to just learn and hear and let that be an end in and of itself. But the doer is blessed. The doer is blessed. He hears, he understands, and he obeys. He perceives by doing the word, or perseveres by doing the word, and there's blessing as a result of that. It's like we read in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, God says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. So the only way to be spiritually blessed and prosperous is through faithful study and application of God's word, doing the word. Now, there are a lot of blessings 
that come from doing the word. And you know, I want to give you some idea of what these could be that James is talking about for your own personal uh, encouragement. I mean, first, just in a general sense, the truth, obeying it, means that you're not doing things that are wrong and you're doing less evil things in your life. On a surface level, that usually leads to a better outcome. If you do good things, you know, go to school, you study, you work hard, you're probably going to have a good job, you're probably going to be responsible, you're probably going to be liked by other people. You do bad things, bad things happen. That's a general truism. And I don't think that's necessarily anything about what James is saying here, but that is generally true as a blessing of this. All right, there's also the plain truth that as you obey God and live out the word in your life, that you know you're living according to God's revealed will. And as a result of that, you you have joy because you know you're living a life that honors God. You have a clean conscience before the Lord. That's a blessing. That's a blessing. And as we saw in Joshua, there's, there's prosperity and good success in a general sense that's promised for obedience. Now, what that is and, and isn't um, may be different than what you're thinking of. You know, consider Job and his trials, everything he went through, yet he was one that God said was blameless and upright. But that's a sermon for a different day. There, the truth remains, there is a general blessing that's promised to people, God's people, who obey what God says. There's also a great blessing that comes as you live out the word and you see that you're conformed to the image of Christ in this life more and more, being made more into the image and the likeness of Christ as you obey and humble yourself is a blessing and will give you much joy as a Christian because ultimately, that's a blessing that comes from knowing that God is proving that you are truly his child and he has promised that he's gonna bring you through this life. And as you see that obedience and God working through that and you're conformed more to the image of Christ, you're confirming, you're having the confirmation that Christ is really in you and your eternity, your destiny is to be with Christ. So the person that hears and only hears and deceives himself, there's no change. He forgets and he does nothing, but the doer of the word sees something, sees something precious in the word and he stoops down and he looks at it and he acts on it. And as a result, there's blessing. There's blessing. Now, let's look at the last section, section three, the condemnation in verses 26 and 27. We read, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So before he moves on, James knows that he has one more thing that he has to do. One thing he has to say, one thing he has to show us in the way that we deceive ourselves. You see, someone can listen to everything that James has said up to this point and still look like he's obeying by what he responds to it, the way he responds to it. We can look at what James says about hearing and receiving the word and say, you know what? Okay, I'll take more notes. 
when the preacher is preaching. I'll go to more Bible studies and listen to podcasts on theology even. James says, hear it, so I'm going to hear it more. And that's all good stuff, and, and we need to hear the word for it to be able to work in our lives. But if we're content just with the hearing and learning, but we never do anything about it, we're deceived. So James then tells us, don't just hear the word. Don't just hear it. Be doers of the word. So we can say to ourselves, okay, James, I got what you're saying here. I get it. I need to actually obey some of this stuff and go to church more. Go to church even every week. I need to pray each day. I need to put money in the offering plate and maybe, maybe I'll play in the band or, or teach a Bible study or something. You know what? No, I know exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to do what the most serious and dedicated Christians do in the church, the most sacrificial people, and I am going to serve in the nursery. By the way, thank you to all of you who love my children well. Um, But does all of that stuff, does doing all of that stuff actually prove that you've been saved? Is all of that an actual 100% foolproof test of real spiritual life? No. Anyone can do those things if they actually try really, really hard. And that's what James means by the word religion here. It's all the ceremonies, the rituals, the sacrifices, the external stuff and worship that we do to convince ourselves we're truly religious. It's all external. But the difference between the true doer and the hearer is the heart. Is the heart. You see, our hearts will always take God's commands in our fallen sin and sinful flesh. They will always take God's commands and find a way to obey them just good enough that we fool ourselves and everyone around us. And that's exactly what James is addressing here in this section right now. The evidences of a truly changed heart. Not just all of the religious ceremonial stuff, the worship. A truly changed heart. So big picture in this section, James gives us three things that we can, uh, ways that we can test the quality of our religion. Three evidences to discern if you have true godliness as a result of what you hear and do. Or evidences if you have a deceived heart that's never been changed. Let's start with the first test. The first test. The test of the tongue. He says, if anyone does not bridle his tongue. Now, I think most of us know what a bridle is. Uh, it's, it's like ropes or leather straps that you, you put on a horse's head. And then sometimes it has a, a little bit, a metal bit inside of it. Um, I'm told that it it's also could be made out of bone or something. It has a bit that might go into, uh, might have a bit that goes into the mouth. Now, if you're a total beginner, you get on a horse, and you might think that the reins that connect to the bridle are there for you to grab onto, and you grab them and you hold them for dear life. But a bridle and the reins are not there just to hold on to. See, it allows a rider to gain control of the animal. You set the direction, and then you use the bridle to make sure that you keep going. You maintain it. If the horse gets spooked from something, like a noise or maybe another animal in the distance, you use the bridle to control and make it go the way that you want. 
Now, in case any of you think that I know anything about horses, my wife is an accomplished equestrian, um, so I thank her for all this information, and I'm told by her that equestrian is a fancy word that means someone that knows a lot about horsey stuff, which is not me. Um, James' point here, though, is that a person with false religion can't, can't control the tongue. They can't control the tongue. Now, don't get me wrong. They can learn to say and not say things that are or aren't appropriate, but they don't have a true control of the tongue. They can't rein it in, is what James is telling us. So why is that? Why is that? Because it's, as Jesus says, it's out of our heart that the mouth speaks. It's out of our heart that our mouth speaks. Our words come from our heart. So what you say comes directly from your heart. And if you don't have a new heart with a new desire to love and honor and obey God, no matter how hard you try, you will give evidence of what is truly in your heart. You will give evidence of what your true loves are by the way you speak and the things that you speak about. It's inevitable. Now, I know for some this might seem like a kind of trivial thing, but Scripture has a lot to say about the tongue and controlling it. Just listen as I read. Paul mentions some sins of the tongue uh, in Romans 1 in a list of sins. And just let me read this and, and, and just listen how many of these have to do with the tongue itself. He says, Romans 1, starting in 29, they are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. You see, all of those sins of the tongue they're gossips, slanderers, boastful, and they even give approval with their words, with their tongue to evil. And God tells us that the penalty for this, like all sin, is death. This is serious. And hear what Christ says about our words in Matthew chapter 12, verses 36 and 37. He says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. Every careless word. You see, our words are such an accurate representation of our hearts that Christ says it's our words that will be justified or condemned by and that's exactly James' point. Nearly everything in religion can be faked, but it's the mouth. It's the mouth and our words that are the direct reveal of the heart. And only a true believer with a new heart can have changed words and bridled the tongue through the power of the Holy Spirit. False religion can't do that. Which is why this is the perfect test for your religion. If you do all the other externals, but you can't control your tongue, James tells us that your religion is worthless. It doesn't mean anything. Your tongue condemns you because it reveals your heart and the truth that you don't love God and you don't love glorifying him. 
All your good deeds have no value at all because there's no power in them. All that external, no power. You're still in your sins and you're merely deceiving yourselves, friends. Now, do believers do this perfectly? No. But we repent We follow after Christ and we grow in maturity and obedience day by day through the power of the Spirit. God will renew us as we follow Christ more and more every day. So James shows that religion that's done in the the sight of others is worthless. The externals are worthless and that it's the tongue that's the proof. Now, he shows us two more tests to see what is pure and undefiled religion And spoiler alert, the the heart of the issue is that it's done from the heart. So what do I mean by that? James tells us in verse 27 that it's done before God the Father. Not for people. Not for people. It's done knowing that everything we do is in God's presence and for his glory ultimately. On the outside, it may look very similar, but it's the secret things of the heart that only God knows that really makes all the difference in true and false worship. So let's look at the next text, next test here, visiting widows and orphans in their affliction. Now that may seem a little strange to us as modern readers. We don't have a lot of widows and orphans in our day-to-day life, but James is reminding us of a very, very common biblical command. Women in those societies in the Middle East at that time, they had no source of income. They had to depend on their families and their husbands. And obviously, very young children can't earn a living. So these are people that literally cannot take care, for, care of themselves without a husband, a father, or family. And God who is a God of mercy and love, commands the Israelites in his word to protect the helpless, to protect the helpless in their society. Listen to Exodus 22, starting at verse 21. He says, God speaking to the Israelites, you shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall not mistreat any widows or fatherless child. See, God reminds them they need to do this because they were also helpless sojourners, but God loved and cared for them in that state. And David reminds us of this in Psalm 68, 5. He says that God is a helper of the helpless. He says, verse 5, Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. It's who God is. So the Israelites were commanded to do the same because it demonstrates God's character and glory to the world that was looking But I think James' point here is actually a little bit deeper. It goes a little bit more under the surface. More than just giving to people that have a need. I mean, if you think about it, any religious person can give money or things to others. And every Jewish person was commanded to give tithes and offerings for the needs of others. That was essentially the purpose of those tithes. Look with me at Matthew 23, 23. Christ saying here, he'll appear here on the screen. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin. See, 
they gave as God commanded, down to the smallest little things because they wanted to make sure that all of those externals were just right. They tithed. But Jesus goes on, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You see, this is what God wants from true worshipers. He wants justice and mercy and faithfulness. And the key in our text is that James says true religion, true religion is to visit them in their affliction. Why? Because when we were helpless, Christ didn't send someone else. He came to us in our weakness, in our need, and he met that by taking our burden on himself. You see, James isn't saying to just give things to people that have need. That's not the point. And we know it's not the point that James isn't giving us just another list of things to do or don't do because the entire point of this, this passage is to ensure that we understand the difference between true and false religion and any false religion and worship could do that. Now he's showing us a general principle here. That we're to give sacrificially. We're to give sacrificially of our own selves as the Lord gives us opportunity. Because when you do that, you're being like Christ, giving your own self away. You meet the need. You go. You give yourself by spending time with the individual. You don't just send the check or a door dash. You meet them in your need. And when you do that, Your religion is right because you're giving just like Christ did for you. We were all once far off and had no hope. Yet God loved us and provided for us, brought us near in the most glorious way possible. He brought us into his family. He gave to us who had nothing. And now we have everything in Christ. So we're to be like God in the way that we display love to the helpless. That's the point here, because this is how God loved us. This is who we are in Christ. So the general test here that James is pointing out is asking yourself, do you have a willingness to apply the word and live a selfless life? If we could boil it down to the proof of true religion, do you have a willingness, desire to apply the word and live a selfless life? Do you have genuine concern for the welfare of others, especially those in great need? Essentially asking, do you love your neighbor as yourself? Now, the last test that James gives us is keeping oneself unstained from the world. The world here is a reference to the ungodly worldview that's around us. It's the, it's the ungodliness and, and ungodly lifestyle of fallen mankind. And we Christians, we've been made new creatures in Christ. And we've been washed clean from the sins that we've committed, the guilt of those sins. We're here in this world to do the work of God and proclaim his glory to the world. But, but the world is full of temptations and sinful ways of thinking and acting, and we as Christians must be on constant alert and be diligent to not be affected by what's going on around us and the sin in this world. God is our Father, and we are to be holy as He is holy. As His children, 
We are constantly and consistently to strive after holiness. So we must keep ourselves unstained from the world. John says it like this in 1 John 3. He says, And everyone who thus hopes, that being hopes to be God's child and and be with him, everyone that thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. See, that's a general truism. If you hope that you will be with God and be like God, you purify yourself now. You keep yourself unstained from the world in this life, not to gain salvation. It's not beneficial for any work, but you do it because you desire to honor and glorify God. You desire to be like Christ. You desire to be pure like he is pure. This is the heart that takes everything and every thought through the lens of pleasing God and, and not just going through the motions, the externals of what's appropriate or not appropriate to everyone else. True religion is staying unstained from the world and keep taking every thought captive for the glory of God. So this whole passage that we've just looked at this morning can be summarized essentially as a tale of two hearers. It's two hearers, two lookers, two worshipers. And James shows that on the outside, they appear nearly identical. But there are subtle signs of those differences within them. And James gives us those three tests to apply to ourselves to see what kind of hearer we are. And we see that true Christianity is manifested first with a pure and loving heart by the way that we talk. And by our selflessness second. And third, by our uncompromising pursuit of personal holiness for the glory of God. Let me say that again. By our tongue, the way we talk, our selflessness, and uncompromising pursuit of holiness for the glory of God. See, brothers and sisters, we must be doers of the word and obey God through the power of the Spirit and doing it from a heart of love for God because anything else doesn't mean anything and is just worthless religion. Now, in closing, I want to give just two applications. Two applications. The first one I think is fairly obvious from this text. Do the word. Do the word. This passage is all about applying tests to your faith to see if you are hearing and deceiving or if you're a true doer. So ask yourself, are you a true doer of the word? Everyone in this room right now is a hearer. You have all heard what God says, what God's demands are, and understand to some degree what that means and what's required of you. Are you going to walk away and forget? Or will you persevere? See, we're blessed here to be in a church that preaches and teaches the word faithfully and excellently. But with that, there's a real danger for us. A real danger in thinking that because we understand what we hear, understand all that truth, and maybe even we feel something while we're hearing it, we can deceive ourselves into thinking that because of that, we're at peace with God. That everything is okay. But as you leave here, I want you to think about it. How many good sermons have you heard? 
How many excellent Bible studies have you been to? How many days and how much time have you studied through the word and the scriptures? And the question you have to ask yourself quite simply, is there any effect in your life? Is there any change? Are you a doer? Do you do anything about it? So examine your speech. Examine your motivation for sacrifice, your selfishness or selflessness, and examine your desire for purity. And don't rest until you know which type of hearer you are right now. Examine your salvation with fear and trembling. Be a doer of the word. And secondly, lastly, remember that Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. This passage is crushing absolutely crushing. It peels back every facade and exposes the true wickedness of our hearts in every little crevice. I mean, just take the two greatest commands in Scripture. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. How are we doing with that? If that's the standard for a life that's acceptable to God, no one can do the word well enough or hard enough, pure enough to please God. And the bad news is, that is the standard. That is the absolute standard. No one in this room right now loves like that. But thanks be to God that Jesus did. That Jesus did all what God commands perfectly. And it's Jesus' own righteousness that's granted to us through faith. So instead of leaving here with an overwhelming sense of guilt and shame, dread, Let me just comfort you for a moment by telling you, you can't do it. You can't do it perfectly. You can't work hard enough, right enough, pure enough to please God, but you can trust in the one who did. See, if you're in Christ, the Father is pleased with you simply because you're in his Son. And Jesus, who suffered and bled, died for your pardon, also gave you the Holy Spirit. And it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that's in us that we can do anything pleasing to God at all. The only way this is possible is is if God works in us through the power of the Spirit. And it's that power, brothers and sisters, that same power that raised Christ from the dead and raises us up to new life with him that makes it possible to be a doer of the word. It's that resurrection power of Christ in us that lets us have the confidence and confess with Paul in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So look to Christ. Look to Christ because it's only because of Christ in you that you can live by faith and be a doer like God commands and please the Father. Let's pray. Father, we are humbled by your word. Lord, we pray that we would be humbled more and tremble at what you've said. Lord, that you would look on us and help us as we are helpless. Lord, we're sinners. And without you and your righteousness, 
we have no hope. But we thank you, Father, that you have given us every spiritual blessing in Christ and you've given us this hope and the ability to do what you command through the power of Christ in us, through your Holy Spirit. So we pray that you would help us to remember, help us this week as we go forth to not forget, help us to test and see what you've said, even if it hurts. Lord, pray that you would save sinners for your glory. In Christ's name we pray, amen.